Hey there, welcome. This is Daniel M. from Beulah Alliance Church. As we open up the scriptures together, I hope this helps you know Jesus deeply and be known by him fully. Enjoy the message. Well, looks like Christmas, doesn't it? <laughs> I love Christmas. Uh, whether it's eggnog or gingerbread cookies, peppermint mocha lattes, or the bright twinkling lights at night reflecting off of the snow. I love it all. It's, it's so so beautiful. Now, I wouldn't call myself obsessed, uh, like, you know, those whose winter wardrobe only consists of the color red and green. You know who you are, right? Uh, or those of you who have pets, and uh, about this time of the year, you're always dressing them up in something that jingles over here, or, you know, has reindeer horns over there, and your pets are over. All they're really saying is, I just want to be free, right? <laughs> Um, or even those of you who treat Christmas shopping like the great toilet paper shortage. And you're literally like, oh, it's mine, I was here first. Right? And you're just hoarding and taking it. No. And it's interesting, right? We all, there, when it comes to Christmas, there are some who love it, others who tolerate it, and some who are just plain old Grinches. And what's interesting about the whole thing, yes, right on, uh, what, what's interesting about the whole thing is that I actually found a research project that explained why. Okay, so uh, there is this research done using fMRI, fMRI imaging that discovered there's actually a holiday center in our brains. So, I mean, it's, I'm not joking, like this is real. Uh, so when they were uh, showing the subjects pictures of, uh, you know, things that remind you of Christmas, Christmas lights or or a, hop a, a cup of hot cocoa by a fireplace uh, and the window is covered with snow or, or even, you know, Christmas lights, you know, all, all that. What they found was that there was a particular part of their brain that lit up every single time that, you know, anything related to Christmas was shown. Now, here's what's absolutely fascinating about this research. What they discovered right, what they discovered was why the people who love Christmas love Christmas. And here's what they discovered. It's because it reminded them of their past. So when they saw these images, it reminded them of, it was like nostalgic Christmases from of old and the memories that came from that or, or maybe it was snowball fights or Christmas movies, being together with loved ones, uh, big dinners, or maybe it was like obligatory Boxing Day shopping. Now, when you think about this, um, that probably also means that the reason some people don't love Christmas is because it probably reminds them of their past as well, right? Now, today we're starting our Advent series in Philippians as we're only a few weeks away from Christmas. And here's, uh, we just sang this song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Right? And the reason we sang this is because it actually reminds us of what we're going to be talking about today. That just like Jesus came 2,000 years ago, he is going to come again. So we need to learn how to eagerly wait for his return. Now, part of the charm of Christmas is the nostalgia, right? The nostalgia and the memories of it all. So when it comes to Christmas and our faith, you know, don't you find that we often make Christmas all about what happened? not necessarily what's gonna happen. Like we make Christmas more about Jesus born in a, in, in a manger to a Virgin Mary rather than the fact that 
Christmas reminds us that Jesus is going to come again, perhaps in our lifetime. Now, if we only focus on the past, here's what's happening. We, we actually miss half of the story. Actually, maybe the better way to put it is we're not missing half of the story. We're missing the heart of the story because we're forgetting that Christmas reminds us of what's to come, not just what happened. So that's why as we start off this Advent season of Philippians, I want us to kick things off by learning about what's going to happen in the future rather than only remembering what happened in the past. So if you have your Bibles, uh, let's turn to Philippians chapter 3. And we're going to continue on in our Advent series, uh, in our Philippians, in Philippians, starting from verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Now, when Paul says in verse 20 that we are to wait for the return of Jesus, what sort of waiting is he talking about? Like, is he talking about begrudgingly waiting? Remember those COVID lines? Like, right? Is he like talking about those ones? Or, or you're just waiting in line, like literally our whole life is waiting in lines. You're like, when is, you know, when is this going to open up? Is that, is that what he's talking about? Like that sort of waiting? Or is, he, or is he talking about more of an expectant sort of waiting? Kind of like if you've ever gone to a concert and the doors are closed and you're expectantly waiting for them to open so you can go to your seats or, or find a seat. Like, is that what he's talking about? What Paul is talking about is essentially, uh, if you've ever messaged with one of your friends and, and you know, they, they said to you, hey, I'm about to come over to your place. Like, it's, it's you messaging them and being like, oh, I can't wait. Right, like, like this, take a look at this gif or gif. Uh, you, you might send them this, right? You're like, I can't wait. Like, you know, they say they're coming over to your place and you're like, oh, I can't believe you're actually coming over. So you're, I can't wait for you to come. Like we could send them that, right? Because instead of just saying can't wait, a gif explains it so much better. Or you could send them this gif, can't wait, because uh, you have some unfinished business with them. And you're like, I'm glad you're coming over because I can't wait. Uh, or maybe you see the text message and you're like, wait, I, I, why are you coming over to my place? I don't want you to come over, so, but they've already, they're already on their way, so you send them this gift because you're going to want to passively, aggressively just tell them, don't come. Oh, I can't wait for you to come. I can't wait. Uh, or maybe you're really excited, to, like not just, not just really excited, like really excited to see them, so you send them this one. <laughs> Right, good old Shaq, can't wait. When Paul says that we are to wait for Jesus' return, what he's talking about is an expectant sort of waiting. It's not a begrudging waiting. It's not a maybe sort of waiting. It's an expectant sort of waiting. It's an eager sort of waiting. In fact, you know, in our, in our English Bibles, the word eager, it's eagerly waiting, and eagerly is an adjective that describes the word verb waiting, but in Greek, it's actually one word. Like, eagerly waiting is one word. So, eagerly waiting for Jesus' return is sort of like a parent, uh, a, a child waiting for their parent to come back from military deployment. Right? Can you imagine, like, that 
Christmases missed, birthdays missed, so much time missed, and just waiting for their parent to return. That's what this eagerly waiting is like. Or maybe it's that feeling when you finish a competition and everyone's waiting for the results and you want to see if you've won or, or what rank you place. Like that's the sort of eagerly waiting that Paul is talking about. Or, or when Christina and I uh, dated long distance, uh, and she was in Ottawa and I was in Vancouver and she'd be on the plane getting ready to come to Vancouver to visit me or me the other way. It would be that sort of eagerly waiting. That's what Paul is talking about. Or it's, it's kind of like all of Edmonton eagerly waiting for the Oilers to win the Stanley Cup again. <laughs> right? Like, I know we say that every year. Uh, and, you know, I really hope that this is the year, but this last month has been ugly, right? I mean, it's just like, oh, come on, Oilers. Um, anyways, this is what Paul is getting at in verse 20 and 21. Okay, let me, let me put it another way. What he's saying is this. He's saying a disciple of Jesus isn't, disciples of Jesus don't just love one another and love God, but disciples of Jesus also know how to eagerly wait for his return. That's what Paul is emphasizing here. So how do we do that, right? How do we eagerly wait for the return of Jesus? Practically speaking, how do we do that? Well, there are three ways. By knowing where we are, by worshiping whose we are, and by trusting what will happen. So let's start with our first point. How do we eagerly wait for Jesus? By knowing where we are. Now, last week uh, we talked about talked through verse 18 and 19 in Philippians 3, and we read, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame, and they're focused on earthly things. So last week I shared how if you don't know Jesus, your end is destruction because you're only living for the now, the temporal. But we see in verse 20 that if you do know Jesus, then your citizenship is in heaven. Take a look at verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So if knowing where we are is the first way that we can eagerly wait for Jesus, well, where are we? Where are we? Well, in verse 20, we read that our citizenship is in heaven, so that means we are currently living in our temporary home. That's what Paul's saying here, that that this here, right now, Edmonton, is our temporary home. Now, I'm not talking to, you know, all you snowbirds who are getting ready to go down south and you're getting ready to enjoy all the the warm weather and and you see the cold weather coming up in the the weather app and you're like, ha-ha, suckas, like, I'm going down south. That's That's not who and what I'm talking about here. And neither am I talking to those of you here who, uh, you know, you're just here for work and you just can't wait to get transferred or retire and move to the island or to the Okanagan. That's not not what I'm saying here. What, What I'm saying here is not that Edmonton is our temporary home. It's that Earth is our temporary home. That's what Paul is talking about, that regardless of where you live, this is our temporary home. Now, Paul uses the word citizenship to contrast our present temporal homes with our forever eternal homes. And he was writing to the Philippians, and the Philippians 
Philippi was a, a Roman, part of the Roman Commonwealth. So they, a lot of them would have had Roman citizenship and would have been aware of what Roman citizenship was, you know, the obligations and the benefits that you would have received as a Roman citizen. So he's using this common metaphor that everyone would have understood, right? Because as a Roman citizen, your, your obligation was to pay taxes. Yay. Right? I mean, like that's, but it's an obligation, right? It comes with citizenship. Uh, but then your, your, um, your benefit was that you wouldn't be publicly flogged. Okay, well, that's, that's good, right? Um, the other benefit that you would get as a Roman citizen is that uh, you would be exempted from military service. So Paul is essentially using comparative language to help the Philippians recognize that just as their earthly Roman citizenship was temporary, and just as it included both obligations and benefits, their heavenly permanent citizenship also included obligations and benefits. Now he's not telling them to denounce their earthly citizens. It's like, hey, you're heavenly citizens, so don't be Romans anymore. That's not what he's saying here. He's not saying to live aloof, live uninvolved or unengaged as Romans. And he's not saying that to us too. He's not saying, hey, you know, who cares about your Canadian-ness and, and you know, don't worry about being engaged or involved. Like, just, just only live for heaven. Don't worry about earth. That's not what he's saying here. He's helping the Philippians and us understand that we are to be dual citizens, that we are to live as dual citizens. Have you ever thought of your identity as a follower of Christ in that way? Take a look at this verse in Jeremiah 29. Pursue the well, so as an earthly citizen, we are called to pursue the well-being of the city that we are in. Right? Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it thrives, you will thrive. So on the one hand, as earthly citizens, this is how we are to, to operate. But also as heavenly citizens, let's remember that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. In other words, we are dual citizens. Now to get Roman citizenship, you either had to buy it or be born into it. Uh, so when it comes to heavenly citizenship, the, the awesome thing is you don't, you, I mean, you can't buy it and you can't be born into it, All right? So that means if you were baptized as an infant, that doesn't mean you're a heavenly citizen. Uh, it also means that just because your parents or your family go to church or you are here, that doesn't mean you're a heavenly citizen either. Only Jesus can grant you heavenly citizenship. And it's not based on what you've done. It's based entirely on what he's done for you, what he did for us on the cross. Our only role in accepting this heavenly citizenship is to just accept it. <laughs> like, simply put, like, we just need to accept what Jesus has done for us. Now, you know, I, I don't know the whole process, uh, you know, what it's like to become a Canadian citizen because I was born here. Uh, but I do know what it's like to become an American citizen. 
Uh, when we lived in the States years ago, um, we went down with temporary visas and, and then eventually we got permanent visas and, and to get our permanent residency, we had to fill out application forms and there were quotas, there were, we were waiting and there is like hoops and to jump through and lots of bureaucracy, lots of bureaucracy. And then, and then like there, there, we had to answer so many questions. And I, I mean, not just like, the normal ones, like, where do you live? Where were you born? What have you done in life? Why do you want to be an American, etc.? You know, not just those normal ones that you would expect. We actually need to answer weird. Like, there's so many weird questions. Like, I'll give you one. There was one question where it was like, are you a terrorist? <laughs> Even if I was a terrorist, <laughs> At this point in the application, there's no way I'm writing yes. Right, I'm not a terrorist, by the way. Um, the other question was, do you practice polygamy? I was like, what? No. Do you intend on practicing polygamy when you come to the States? Uh, no. Like, why are you asking me these questions? After all that, uh, the only thing left to do uh, was to wait the time frame you gotta wait, accept citizenship, and then make the pledge. Now we didn't, I'm kinda glad we didn't, um, but unlike earthly citizenship, right? You know, all the hoops, bureaucracy, all that stuff, none of that exists for heavenly citizenship. You know, you don't need to wait. There's no waiting line, there are no quotas for heavenly citizenship. There's no weird questions for heavenly citizenship either. The only thing that we need to do is accept what Jesus has done for us and then make the pledge. Now, um, so back to that question, right? Are you living like a dual citizen? Right, on the one hand, um, are you planted where you're living? Like, is here, and I mean, are you pursuing the well-being of your neighborhood? Are, are you pursuing the well-being of greater Edmonton? Are you praying for our leaders? Are you neighboring well? Do you know who your neighbors are? And if you moved, would your neighbors, like how would your neighbors react? Like hopefully they wouldn't be happy, right? <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm glad they left. Like, they were like, horrible. No, I, right? I mean, hopefully it's not that. Hopefully they're like, oh, don't move. Because if you move, then who's going to do this block party? Because if you move, then who's going to gather everyone together? Like, you're, you're, you're the one who brings us together. Like, I, I mean, what, would, what sort of impact are you making locally in your neighborhood? So are you living, um, how are you living as an earthly citizen? But also, how are you living as a heavenly citizen? Are you living in such a way that, um, that you're eagerly waiting for the return of Jesus? Are you living in such a way that your life and your actions reflect Jesus and, and there's that holy life being cultivated in you? In fact, have you ever had an experience where, um, you know, you at, at work, maybe there are big layoffs happening or um, at school, there was a pop quiz that happened or, or something, something like that happened where collectively you experienced this with others and, and while other people were grumbling and arguing or, or, or tearing down the boss or the teacher or whatever, you didn't engage? 
And people were like, what's wrong with you? And you're like, well, I don't, I don't really see it that way. Or in, in these layoffs or in tough times, or even with this inflation that, that just continues to rise, like maybe there are those around you who are like, I don't know, like, I don't know how I'm gonna pay for this, I don't know how I'm gonna pay for that, and, and you just, you're just, like you're, you're just so full of peace. And they're like, what, why, how are you, how are you like this right now? And that, that then opened an opportunity for you to share about Jesus and about how you have a relationship with him and what that looks like and the impact that that's had on your life. You know, I love how C.S. Lewis talks about both of these. Take a look at this quote. If you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. So when we live as dual citizens, deeply invested in our neighborhoods and our lives here, while also living holy lives and looking forward to what is to come, that's the first way that we can practically wait for Jesus. It's by living as dual citizens. The second way that we can learn how to eagerly wait for Jesus is by worshiping whose we are. Now, Paul, in verse 20, uses the word citizenship and uh, to talk about, you know, remind people of Roman citizenship and all this stuff, and, and we just talked about that, but he does actually the same thing with the word savior. So take a look at verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a savior from there, for a savior. That word savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, is very intentional in why he used it. Because in the original context, when most people, when most Romans would have heard the word savior, they wouldn't have thought of Jesus. They wouldn't have thought of someone who saved them from their sins. During the New Testament, what they would have understood that word to be and to mean was something completely different. Take a look at the en two entries from a Greek dictionary to explain what the prevailing understanding would have been. Okay, here's the first one. Savior, this word savior, was applied to personalities who are active in the world's affairs in order to remove them from the ranks of ordinary humankind and place them in a significantly higher position. Okay, so the next um, entry describes that in a little bit more. Uh, in its Hellenistic derivation, the term savior refers to anyone who saves or delivers. Thus, it has nothing to do with being saved from sin but with being delivered and protected either by the gods, thus it is variously applied to Zeus, Apollo, Poseidon, Heracles, Asclepius, and Serapis, or significant human figures, Pompeii or the emperors. And now, check this last sentence, right? Caesar is thus called the savior of the world. And Augustus himself was the savior of humankind. Isn't that fascinating? So Paul's not randomly using the word savior. He is very intentionally, just like the word citizenship, is using that word savior because Roman citizens would have used savior to refer to their emperor, their lord, and their gods. And Paul is saying in contrast to that, savior is Jesus Christ, my God. 
And he's referring to Jesus as his savior. Now, now just consider this for a little bit. Um, the Romans saw their emperor, Caesar, the Greek gods, as their savior, right? So what that means is um, the emperor, their Greek gods, they are the ones who saved them, savior, saved them, but, but according to the definition, Caesar and Augustus and their Greek gods, their emperors, were also the ones who protected them. They were also the ones who delivered them. They were also the ones who guided them. So no wonder the Romans worshipped their emperor. Why? Because their emperor protected them, delivered them, guided them. They were indebted to their savior and they wanted to make sure they didn't upset their savior because their savior was the one who protected them, who guided them, who delivered them, who let them live the sort of life they were living. They're, they're, all of that was conditional. They were living a conditional sort of life based upon their savior and based upon how their savior might have felt that day. You know, it's, it's sort of like they were living in an abusive relationship where they weren't accepted for who they were. The partner might have said, I love you, but they didn't really, like, you didn't know if that was true or not or if it was just manipulation to get something. Love was conditional. They didn't know their standing in their relationship. They were living in constant stress and on edge. What a horrible way to live. <laughs> I'm so glad, though, that this is not the way of Jesus. Unlike the gods of their day, Caesar, Augustus, the emperor, Greek gods, and unlike the gods of our day, consumerism, politics, religion, new age, celebrity, Unlike all of these gods, Jesus actually saves. Jesus actually delivers. And he actually guides us. There are no empty promises with Jesus. And, and the love and care that, that he has for us isn't dependent on how he feels or on how we act. His love and his care and his deliverance and his protection and his guidance is unconditional and constant for us. Why? It's because saving, delivering, protecting, and guiding aren't things that Jesus does. This is who Jesus is. Jesus doesn't just protect. He is protection. Jesus doesn't just save. He is salvation. Jesus doesn't just guide to an unknown future. He actually holds the future in his hands. That's who we worship. That's because Jesus isn't just a savior, a king, or a lord, but he is the savior, the king of kings, and the lord of lords. So when we worship whose we are, when we worship Jesus, we are declaring our allegiance to him, not to the gods of our day. When we worship Jesus, we are being reminded that we are citizens, not only here on earth, but also of heaven. And just like Jesus came, he is going to come again. So in a day and age, right, in a day and age where we hear more than 5,000 marketing messages every single day telling us who we are and whose we are, worship is an act of defiance. 
Worship is an act of defiance. Worship is an act of rebellion against the prevailing narrative of our day. So when you worship by giving financially to the church, you're not just giving financially, you're not just giving money away. What you're doing is you are actually rebelling against the consumeristic, me-centered values of our day that say, hey, can you really afford that? I mean, 10% sounds like a lot. Don't you need that? Like, inflation's eight. How are you gonna, how are you gonna take care of your family? How are you gonna take care of this? How are you gonna do this? And then when we give financially, we're like, I don't know how this is gonna work. But when we give financially, what we're doing is we are rebelling against the narratives of this day that the enemy uses to chain and hold Christians back from experiencing the abundant life in him. And when we worship Jesus by serving with our time and our talents, that's also active rebellion. You know what it's rebellion against? It's rebellion against the individualism of our day. Individualism that says, uh, you gotta, like, there's, there's only so much time in the day, like, you don't have time to go serve, you don't have, you don't have time to go do that, I mean, that's, that's, you're gonna spend energy doing that, and it's time, and it's, uh, you, gotta, you gotta do this instead, like, don't, someone else could do that, you could do this. When we serve with our time and our talents, we are saying, no, actually, my life is not my own. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So if I want to grow in Christ-likeness, then the way to do that is to serve and to live like he did. And when we worship by gathering together like this, and then gathering together in a Beulah community, studying the Bible, gathering, growing, giving, and going together, praying for one another, worshiping, What we're doing is we are being reminded of God's faithfulness in the past, in the present, and how he's gonna continue to be faithful in the future. Friends, when we worship whose we are, we're reminded. We're reminded that just like Jesus came, Jesus is going to come again. That's the second way that we can eagerly and expectantly wait for his return by worshiping whose we are. The third way is to trust whatever will happen. Now, you know, no one knows when Jesus is gonna return. We do know he is, but we don't know when. We don't know when. But when he does, we do know what's going to happen. Verse 21, he will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. In other words, when Christ comes again, what we know is that he will transform us into his likeness. He will transform our bodies into the likeness of his glorious body. Have you ever wondered like, what that means? Like, like does, does that mean if Jesus, you know, if he has holes in his hands, we're gonna have holes in, his hand, in our hands? Like when we're transformed, like is that, is that is, is that what he's saying here? Or, or, or if, you know, Jesus says he's the light of the world, and so if, if he glows, I don't know if he glows and radiates with light, but if he glows and radiates with light, does that mean we're gonna start glowing and radiating with light? 
right? We never have to turn a light switch on again. Like we don't need electricity because we're gonna glow. Like, is that what he's saying? Or is he saying if Jesus has a six pack, then we're gonna have a six pack? And if Jesus is ripped, then we're gonna be ripped and we don't have to work out anywhere? Like that's, like sign me up, right? I mean, like, is that what, is that what Paul is saying here? Is that what the scriptures are saying? We'll take a look at 1 John chapter three, uh, and there's a little bit more of an explanation in all this. Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. What we will be has not yet been revealed. In other words, I'm sorry, no six pack, right? There's no guarantee around that. But what is certain, what we can know, what we do know, is that when Jesus returns, we will be like him. We'll be like him. Our, our, our bodies today are not what they are going to be. Now, our, our bodies today are so frail, right? Like our bodies are so frail and prone to sickness, prone to disease. Like, do you remember when you were a kid, like if you fell out of a tree, like you just dust yourself off and get back up? And, and these days, all you, like, all you gotta do is sleep wrong, right? And you're like, why does my neck hurt? I didn't, I didn't lift anything yesterday. I didn't work. Oh yeah, I slipped on my stomach. <laughs> Right? And you're like, oh, like, what is up with this? And, and then it's like, man, there's so much disease and sickness. And, and it's like, oh, if you eat this, you might get cancer. Oh, okay. Well, if you don't eat this, you might get cancer. What? Uh, and then, it, okay, I'll just drink smoothies then. Yeah, but if you drink smoothies, you might get high blood sugar. And that's not good either. And it's like, what, what are we supposed to do, right? Like, it's just our bodies on this side of eternity are so frail, so prone to sickness and disease. But here's what we're reading in this passage. When Jesus returns, our bodies today are not what they're going to be. Because our bodies, our humble bodies are going to be transformed. In verse 21, that word transform is actually the same word as metamorphosized. So our bodies are gonna be metamorphosized. Right, just like a fat, stinky, and fuzzy caterpillar is transformed and metamorphosized into a beautiful butterfly. And you know, we did that science experiment this last summer. Yeah, it's not as great as it, you know, they say it is. Uh, like, but caterpillars are really fat and fuzzy, and they're stinky. Like, it's, it, was, it was like, I don't wanna go anywhere close to them. This is what's gonna to happen to us when Jesus returns. <laughs> not that we're gonna be fat, fuzzy, and stinky. Uh, no, not that. When Jesus returns, whatever our state is today, whatever this thorn in the flesh might be for you right now, it's not gonna be. Because he's going to metamorphosize us. And if Jesus, if God does that, with a caterpillar into a butterfly, imagine what he's gonna do for us. Imagine how he's gonna restore what's rusted, 
redeem what's broken. That guilt and that shame, imagine how he's gonna just change that into forgiveness and freedom. This is what Jesus is going to do. And this is why we can eagerly wait for his return. In verse 21, uh, the wording is interesting because it doesn't say he might transform. It says he will transform. And that will is a foreshadow to the fact that Jesus will come again. You know, he sang that song, uh, you know, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, right? Well, the lyrics aren't maybe rejoice, hopefully rejoice, Emmanuel might come to you, right? Like, that's not what we sang, right? We sang a declarative rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, right? That's God with us. Shall, not maybe, not hopefully, it's shall come to thee, O Israel. Church family, I pray that we would learn how to eagerly wait for the return of Jesus. I pray that we would learn how to do that by knowing where we are, by living as dual citizens, both here and there. That we would not only do that, but that we would worship whose we are and, and that we would see our giving and our serving and our gathering and our going as worship, as a reminder and as a declaration that we are living in defiance to the gods of our day. And that is not who we are or whose we are. Lastly, I pray that we would eagerly wait for his return by trusting what will happen and by, by being reminded that, you know, every time we wake up with like, you know, a, some back pain or, or, or there's something else going on in our bodies that we have to go get checked out at the doctors or just something else ailing us, something chronic maybe, that that wouldn't just be pain, but we would be reminded in that that what will be is not what's going to be. What is, is not what's going to be. And that we are gonna be metamorphosized into his image. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Hmm. Father, just as we have passports uh, that remind us of our earthly citizenship, I pray that um, you would use whatever you wanna use to remind us of our heavenly citizenship today, this week, this month. Maybe it's Christmas lights, maybe it's our Bible, maybe it's worship music, whatever it might be. I pray that you would remind us that we are in fact dual citizens and that we would live both pursuing the peace and prosperity of our neighbors, our neighborhoods, and our city, being actively involved and engaged, praying for our neighbors, loving our neighbors, but also living holy lives as heavenly citizens onto you. Well, not only that, I, I pray that we would always worship whose we are, 
that when we give, when we serve, when we worship, when we sing, when we pray, when we read the word, Lord, that this would remind us whose we are. That we would live in defiance to all the different ways that the world tells us who we are and whose we are. I was like, nope. I am a friend of God. I am a child of the high king. I'm saved, forgiven. And lastly, I pray that I pray specifically, Lord, for all those who are living with chronic pain today. Everyone here who has literally a thorn in their flesh that they have brought to you, not even day in and day out, but hour by hour, moment by moment. Pray for them. And I pray for those who, um, all of us, that Anytime we are reminded of our humanity and our frailty, or that this would not be a source of complaint, but rather it would be a source of joy. That you would somehow change that pain and that sadness and that sickness and that, that hopelessness into hope and joy and love. Because only you can do that. And that that would all remind us of what is to come and the transformation that awaits us. We love you. We thank you. We praise you that we are yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening and thank you for giving. Your giving makes this podcast possible and helps us share this message with others. If today's message made you realize that you need to take your next step with Jesus, we'd love to help you with that. The easiest way to do that is by going to beulah.family on your browser. On that page, you'll find our social media links, links to upcoming events, and a link to give. And don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast. We'll see you soon.